You know, as a pastor, it is a monster responsibility to make sure that whoever speaks, whoever preaches and teaches into the life of our church is somebody that makes us better as a congregation. Bill Jones is just that kind of guy. I am so grateful to him for agreeing to have a two-week series into our summer schedule this year. I know you know he was here last week, but I want to ask you again this week, if you will, stand to your feet and give a monster family Lake Hills Church welcome to Bill Jones. Okay, so uh, I asked Deanne if she could ask Roger if he could cover that song called Revival. Roger didn't cover the song. Roger covered the song up. How about that? I'm I'm just going to tell you, if you can't get charged up with that song, there's no hope. There's nothing I can say to help. Just go ahead and leave because I'm... In fact, if I were smart, I'd just close this thing here and just walk off the stage and go, we're done. <laughs> I asked him about that song because our nation needs a revival. Amen. We're hurting. Um, we're uneasy. There's, there's this feeling that pervades conversations at work, at home, with friends, and there's an uneasiness. But as Christ followers, we're supposed to hold the line. There's, there's nothing that discourages us, and we, we need to have a revival. And as Roger said, in our own hearts and across the land. So we're going to start that revival right here at Lake Hills Church. For those of you who are visiting, I am not the pastor. The pastor is Mac Richard, that you saw on the video. And I am honored to give he and Julie some time off before they come back next week and fire it up for the kickoff of the school year. So y'all come back and join us then. Meanwhile, we are discussing disruption. And last week, we talked about how Coach Jesus is telling his team, his disciples, about the upcoming disruption in their lives. The fact that he is going to leave, that he's going to be crucified, he's going to be buried, he's going to resurrect, and then he'll meet them in Galilee, and then the disruption will continue. And we talked about what happens when there's disruption in our life. We can actually receive a blessing, that that we ought to look for the blessing that we can receive as long as we're loving God and loving each other. And Jesus tells us that if you can do that during the disruption, I will make your joy complete. Because without him, our joy is limited. We can't get the kind of joy that we need in a disruption without him. Our joy is incomplete. It's only there when things are going our way, according to plan. But he says in a disruption, I will make your joy complete. This week, we're going to talk about how to be a blessing during a disruption, how to be a blessing to others. And we take up where we left off with Jesus, again, as coach, talking to his disciples before his crucifixion. And he tells them that the first thing you have to do to 
be a blessing during a disruption is to abide in me. If you look in John chapter 15, John chapter 15, he teaches the disciples on what they need to do to abide in him. And he tells them two things. Number one, stay attached. And number two, stay active. Let's read it. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what he's telling them is it doesn't matter what your disruption is. Whether your disruption is a failed business venture, didn't go the way you had planned. Whether your disruption is a health-related issue that you didn't plan on and it's actually taking away a lot of your time to deal with it, or maybe the health of a relative. It doesn't matter whether that disruption is one of your children going wayward, or maybe it's a parent going wayward. It doesn't matter whether the disruption is your favorite football team lost that game in the last few seconds because of that bad call by that ref. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh, I know, I've hurt y'all. you can still be a blessing. How? Well, the first thing you have to do is abide in him. You have to be attached to him. And he uses a grapevine as his example. He says, I'm the vine. Stay attached. You are the branches. And as long as you're attached, you can bear fruit, even through a disruption. The bearing of fruit is the blessing. That's the blessing. Now, there may be someone that says, well, I don't, I don't have to be attached. I mean, in fact, I know people who aren't attached to Christ. They're not Christ followers, and they're very nice people. Everybody should be nice. We could use a lot more nice. But there's a difference in nice and being a blessing. Because nice has a limit. If you're not attached, you can only be nice for so long. At some point, you're going to be not nice. And even if you're nice, you can't be a blessing because the person that's observing you being nice doesn't understand why you're being nice. There's nothing that they can look to. What are you attached to? And if you're nice today, will you be nice tomorrow? But if you're attached, if you're attached to the vine, then the blessing comes with, ah, you're a Christ follower. I get it now. That's where the blessing comes in. So we first must abide in him, stay attached, and then we have to stay active in the relationship between Jesus and us. Now, what does that mean? He equates it to marriage. When you're married, you are attached by the marriage ceremony and the license given to you by your county. And then you have to actively work on that relationship. Mac talks a lot about that relationship up here. He even uses he and Julie as examples. When you're married and you're active in the relationship, you work off of each other. You learn what each other likes and you learn what each other dislikes. And you stay away from the things that the person dislikes and you try to tend toward the things that they like. Why? So you can continue the relationship and abide in each other. My wife and I have been married, will be married, 34 years in about two weeks. That applause is for her. 
Trust me, I'm getting a better deal. But we've gotten to the place now to where we do talk, but we don't necessarily have to talk all the time. I mean, because we can actually complete each other's sentences. I'll be in the kitchen looking for something or cooking or doing whatever, and she'll, I'll say, babe, where's the, and she'll say, in the cabinet right above your head. She already knew what I was going to ask for. Or I'll see her kind of meandering around. She goes, I don't know where I put my, and I'll say, it's in the den, sitting on the table. She'll say, how did you know what I was going to ask for? I said, your cell phone, right? She goes, yes. <laughs> Why? Why do we know that? Because we're active in our relationship. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. He says, look, guys, I need you to abide in me. You need to stay attached. You need to stay attached to the vine. And then I need you to remain with me as we go through this disruption together. Because I want you to be a blessing. Now, the second thing he tells them is after they abide in him, he says, I want you to accept the mission. You need to accept the mission. And what's the mission? To be a blessing. And we take up on this part after crucifixion, after the burial, and after the resurrection. And if you'll recall last week, Jesus leading up to the crucifixion, that week before, he's coaching his disciples. He's coaching his team. And he's saying, look, guys, it's coming. Disruption's coming. Get ready. I need, I need you to I need you to remember what I told you and remember that the disruption is going to happen and remember what you're supposed to do. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to raise, and then I'm going to meet you in Galilee. And we take up where he meets them in Galilee and a conversation that's going back and forth between he and Peter. Now, if you remember from last week, Peter, the night before he was crucified or the night of his crucifixion, Peter um, promised Jesus that he would stand between him and any trouble. If you remember that? Jesus said, okay, they're coming to get me tonight. Everybody get ready. And Peter said, hey, they're not taking you. They got to go through me first. And he patted Peter on the head gently and said, Peter, you're not even going to remember who I am before in the morning. You're going to deny you even know me. And he did three times. He did three times. He did three times. Now, Peter was a topper. Do y'all know what a topper is? Y'all don't know any guys who are toppers? A topper is someone that says, if I say I can do 100 push-ups, a topper says, I can do 125. That's what a topper is. Peter was a topper. Peter, last week, was having a little conversation with the other disciples about which one Jesus liked the best. Remember that? And then Peter jumps up and says, well, I'll stand between you and any trouble. And then he couldn't do it. He's a topper. So let's look at the conversation between Jesus and Peter, the topper, after death, burial, and resurrection, during the disruption. John 21, 15 through 17. We're going to read it in its entirety. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these, meaning more than the other disciples? Do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Okay, let's stop just for a second. Is that bait for a topper? Oh, oh, man, he put that lure out there, and Peter just comes up out of the water like a big mouth bass. Do you, Peter, 
the topper, love me, Jesus, more than Andrew and uh, John and all these other guys? What do we think his answer going to be? He said, uh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Then he asked him the second time. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, the third time, the third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, what's going on here? Jesus is telling Peter the topper, Peter, it's time to stop trying to be Peter the topper. You're trying to be the man. I need you to be the man for the man. You see, I don't need you focused on you, Peter. I need you to flip your focus. So as we go through a disruption, what we're learning from this exchange between Jesus and Peter is it's not always about us. Look, there's a time for self-preservation, and it's pretty clear Jesus has forgiven Peter for what he did the night of his crucifixion. There's a time for comfort. There's a time to try to avoid the pain of life, but there's also a time when we need to flip our concern about our current situation and focus on him. And Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, three times, I need you to feed my lamb. I need you to take care of my sheep, and I need you to feed my sheep. Who are the lamb? Who are the sheep? What is he talking about? He's talking about his body of believers. He's talking about us. I don't know if you've ever heard sheep. I never have. I've heard cattle, but I've seen sheep being herded, and they kind of act the same way. They don't know which way to go. Sometimes they go here, sometimes they go there, and they turn, they go this way, and until we do this, do we have circumcision or not? Well, I don't know. Should we worship this way or that way? I don't know. Which way is the right way? Do we sing this song or sing it that way? I don't know. Do we sing it that way? He says, Peter, there's a disruption coming, and I need you to feed my flock. I need you to be a blessing to them. And I know you're tough, and I know you can handle it, and I know you'll do it. And he did. By the way, Peter was crucified. He paid the ultimate price for it. But he needed him to flip his focus, as do we. See, he needed Peter because he called Peter the original rock. Dwayne Johnson is not the original rock. <laughs> Simon Peter, the son of John, is the original rock because Jesus said, I need you to build my church. And upon you, the rock, I'm going to build my church. But I need you to flip your focus. To who? To what? We flip our focus to our family, to our friends, and to folks. Now, the family thing is kind of tough because we inherit them. We don't get to pick family. And sometimes it's really, really, really hard to be a blessing to family isn't it? Yeah. Why? Because we know too much about them, and they know too much about us. 
Sometimes the stuff that follows families around started generations ago. Sometimes it started last Thanksgiving. It's tough, isn't it? But he tells us, flip our focus. It's not about us. It's about being a blessing. Friends, hey, the good news about friends is at least you get to pick them. But here's the problem. Sometimes with friends, we go along to get along because we don't want to lose the friendship. But wait a minute. We're supposed to flip our focus. It's not about us. It's about being a blessing. Okay, and then there's that third group, folks. Who are folks? Well, folks are just people you run into. You might run into them at the car wash or, or, or at the checkout line in the grocery store. Maybe sit next to them on an airplane. Uh, you might encounter them at an intersection during a fender bender. They're just folks that come across your path. And sometimes they may come across briefly, like a, like a wisp of wind. We're supposed to be a blessing to them because our focus is not on us but on being a blessing. I'm going to show you a video that was professionally done several years ago. Um, in fact, it was done 12 years ago. I didn't find out about this video until last spring when my friend Jim, who has a ranch, and he's a pilot. He flies his own helicopter. He flies his own plane. Don't judge. You ain't seen the video yet. Hang on. And uh, we were crawling around this particular helicopter, and he turned to another friend at some point, and he goes, you know, every time I fly, I think of Heather. And they both dropped their heads and went, yeah. And I'm standing there looking at both of them going, who's, who's Heather? And Jim says, I, I, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll send you something on it next week. Well, what he sent me was this video. It was professionally done. I want you to listen to the words in this video, and I want you to listen and look for the disruptions and how they were handled. The professional video will be followed immediately by an unprofessional video. The unprofessional video was done by me with my iPhone. At the time I did it, I didn't know about the story that we're all about to witness, but it will all make sense to you in just a few minutes. Let's take a look-see. You ask about a very interesting moment in Jim Swartner and Rick Perry's lives. Uh, there was a, I think it was the 07 legislative session, we had met a young lady who was dying of cervical cancer. Her name was Heather Bircham, just a beautiful, vivacious young lady. And uh, in the office one day, this young, I think, 30-year-old with her, what you would think was an incredibly bright future in front of her, but she knew she was terminal. Um, we were just having a conversation, um, and I have a few dead animals in my office from my days of hunting. And she pointed out um, one of those, and she said, you know, I would love to go hunting. She said, I've never even shot a, a rifle before. I said, I bet you I can address that. So we made a 
plans a month later to go south of town to a gentleman's place who has some uh, black buck antelope and a uh, beautiful place, John Byram's ranch. And I took her, John helped her learn how to shoot the, uh, the rifle and we were gonna go, we talked through the whole thing about you know, the, uh, the taking of the animal and the, um, you know, the, the, the appropriate thoughtful way that we were gonna do this and the, uh, the harvesting of this animal and then we were gonna uh, have it dressed out and she was gonna have some great uh, meat to take home and anyway, long story short, we, didn't, we were not successful in our hunt. But we were driving around the ranch and, and uh, I said, Heather, anything else that you've never done in life that you just kind of like, you know, your bucket list? And she said, you know, I'd never ridden a motorcycle before. John Byram had a big Honda 1800 uh, V-Rod <laughs> in his garage. I knew it was there. I said, man, I said, that's pretty amazing. I said, come on, he's got a 5,000-foot strip on the ranch. And so we got in it, rode up and down the um, runway, and our hair was blowing, and it was <laughs> great fun. Got in a uh, kind of a sawed-off suburban where you mm -hmm. can sit up and look at the animals, and we were driving around just looking at the critters that he has on his place. And probably an hour later, I said, what else? I said, man, we've gotten two of your bucket list things taken <laughs> care of today. I said, what else in life? She said, well, I said, I've always wanted to take a helicopter ride. Well, that one had me stumped. <laughs> no helicopters around. And we drove around, looked at, talked, and 30 minutes later, from Austin comes a helicopter. By, turns, circles, lands on the pad, the tarmac of Mr. Byram's ranch strip. And we drive around and I recognize it's his helicopter. I get out, I walk over, he's still sitting in there, it's going, he's got his headset on. I said, don't cut it off. Take this girl for a ride. I'll explain it later. Take her around the front, put her in the front seat. She puts her helmet on, and I'll let him finish the rest of the story. There are times in life, we, we know that God talks to us from time to time, but you always wonder if it's a clear signal. This day <laughs> was a very clear signal for me. My friend John Byram had just lost his wife about three months before, Sally Byram, uh, and We'd been friends for a long time. I knew he would come out to the ranch in the afternoons. I was gathering cattle at my ranch in Swartner, and I, I had this urge to go check on John. I flew out towards the ranch at Dripping Springs, and I turned around. And then I had this urge to keep turn around and go back. John needs me. I need to check on him. So when I land, I don't know any of this is going on. I land in the suburban that I knew or recognized because I'd been in the suburban with John G. at the times pulls up so close, I thought the rotor blades were gonna hit everybody there. I see the governor, he jumps out, and I see this young girl in the back, puts the headsets on, says, Schwartner, I don't have time to explain to you what's going on here, but this young girl's dying, 
I look at her and she didn't look like she was dying. I thought maybe we'd be fired at Brackenridge. <laughs> dying of cancer and she wants to ride in a helicopter. So, you know, this is a blur for me. I, I didn't even know the governor was going to be there. And so she gets in the helicopter, puts her headsets on and says, uh, Hi, I'm Heather. I said, Hi, I'm Jim. She says, uh, the governor called you to come out here, didn't you? I said, no, ma'am, I, I didn't know the governor was going to be here. And, and uh, I said, why? And she says, well, I just told the governor moments ago that I wanted to ride a helicopter and here you show up. I said, well, trust me, he's not that good. <laughs> uh, there, there's somebody a lot more powerful that's talking to me and him. And so it dawned on me, uh, you know, she says, you know, I'm a sinner, but I found the Lord and uh, I'm going to die of cervical cancer. But I feel fine. And... I said, well, Heather, what do you want to see? I want to take you. I mean, things were clicking now. I was trying to figure this out. Now, it's, now I've got it. She said, well, I'd like, if you have time, I'd like to see the governor's mansion from the air, the Capitol, and of all people, uh, Sandra Bullock's house. And I'm thinking, boy, I, that's, I know where two of the places are. And I said, well, do you happen to know where Sandra Bullock's house is? She says, yeah, I do. It's on Lake, Lake Austin. I said, well, I can get you to Lake Austin if you can. <laughs> so we're flying along, and we flowers, and she's telling me the story now about how she met the governor. And, and I said, well, this is something else. And she, and she finally said, she says, well, you know, the Lord has spoken to all of us today, hadn't he? And I said, yes, yes, he is. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I, 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 it's hard for me to fly because it's so emotional for me now that I know that, that God has gotten us all together for a reason, to, to celebrate life and let let us know that he's talking to us. So on the way back, I show her the capital, I show her the mansion, I show her, she shows me where Sandra Bullock lives. And on the way back, this is the most emotional part for me, is she says, Mr. Schwartner, I don't have any money, so, so I can't pay you for this ride. And I said, well, Heather, I don't expect any money from you. I said, this is such a treat for me and it's such an honor. And, and I'm still trying to figure out why all this happened. And I said, I've known the governor for 35 years. And I know what a strong Christian he is. And this is just blowing me away. She said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. She, she says, I'm probably not going to be on this earth much longer. And she says, but I'm going to deal with you. When I die, I'm going to tell God that I want to be your co-pilot every time you fly. So every time I fly in my helicopter or my airplane, I look over and say, Heather, you ready to saddle up? Yep. She so, died a little later that year. And, you know, you, you have moments in your life that you will never, ever, ever forget. One of them is uh, marrying my wife death of my father, my kids being born. But that moment for me and you, uh, uh, when we got back that night and started comparing notes, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. I mean, it, it was uh, pretty emotional.
Jim Schwartner is real. He's sitting right here on the second row with us in our service today. So, um, did y'all catch all the disruptions in that? Some of you may be saying, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't have a helicopter. I don't have the stuff to be a blessing. God asks us to be a blessing wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves. The man that you never saw, John Byram, had lost his wife three months before. And as I understand it, when one loses one's spouse, it takes more than three months to get over it. But he chose to be a blessing to this young lady. Jim Schwartner had work to do that day. He was working cattle. And he started to John Byron to check on him, to be a blessing to him. The Lord had other plans. And the young lady, Heather, she had other options available to her. The cervical cancer she had, she could have thought, well, why me, Lord? I mean, I know other people that did what I did, and they're not dying. Why'd you pick me? Instead, she flipped her focus and said, how can I be a blessing to somebody else? And here we are, 12 years later, Heather is still blessing us from the grave. You see, there's something that I call the love triangle that's really important that was shown on that video. And I want us to look at it. It's in John 14, John 14, 21. And it goes something like this. It says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And then I too will love them and show myself to them. You see, the way it works is he's told us as we started last week, love God and love each other. And he says, if you can love then what's going to happen is God's going to love us back. And when that happens, Jesus said, I will then reveal myself to you in the middle of your disruption. He showed up that day, didn't he? He showed up. He revealed himself to everyone involved. And there was plenty disruptions to go around. And I don't know what you believe, but I will tell you, the people that are in that interview, you could, you could threaten to throw them off a mountainside, and they would tell you, uh-uh, he showed up that day. Go ahead, throw me off. He was there. He revealed himself. Why? Because there was love. There was love of God, and there was love of each other. Christ showed up, and the blessings went back and forth. The blessings just kept coming, and they're still coming. 
How are you handling your disruption? Oh, you got one. Some of you, right now, you're going through it. For the rest, just hang on, they're coming. You see, you could handle it like my friend who's, who's 60 days ago found out she had cancer. And she sent this out last night, posted it on her Caring Bridge site, talking about Gabby Grunwall, a distance runner who recently died from cancer after about an eight or nine year bout. She said, Gabby's habit of living on her terms and not cancer's terms is helping me and my family right now. Her grace and perseverance has been a model and I'm attempting to follow. Because I think her outlook might inspire everyone, not just the cancer community. I share this article with you about her story in her honor. She's going through a disruption. I know her, known her a long time. She's a lawyer, just like me. She's trying to be a blessing. She's flipped her focus. I have a friend, lost her husband to suicide. Left her with three children to raise by herself. She had to go get work. She had to sell the house. You know how she's handling her disruption? She's writing a book about it. so she can help her family, so she can be a blessing to her friends who knew what she went through, and so she can help folks that she doesn't even know and will never meet. The question isn't whether we have disruptions. The question is, how are we handling it? Are we a blessing? Or are we something else? Let's end with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we come humbly before you. And we come to celebrate real people with real disruptions. People to whom you have revealed yourself so that we might be blessed. And we ask that you would help us to take these stories and to take what we, what we see and take what we've learned and take what we've heard and incorporate it into our lives so that we might abide in you, so that we might have joy even in the middle of suffering and pain, so that we might have joy even in the middle of confusion about our business, about our families, about our friends, about what to do next. Father, teach us to love, to love you and to love each other no matter what. Help us to stay attached. Help us to work that relationship we have with you and that you have with us and that you want it, that you seek it. that the words that you told Peter some 2,000 years ago still apply today. That if we love you, that we're to feed your flock, to be a blessing. And Father, there may be someone here today who has not yet 
realize just how much you love them. That they're, they're here today for a reason. And, and they're getting that feeling that, okay, maybe, maybe now, maybe today. The feeling that many of us in this room have had before. That it's time to dedicate my life to something other than me something other than my self-gratification and something other than my comfort. That there's something better out there, and that's you. And if there is someone here today that, that looks to take that step, all you got to do is say, Christ, I want you in my heart right now. I'm, I'm opening my, my heart, my mind, and my life to you right now. I'm not really sure what that means. I'm not really sure what I do next, but I know I want you. And I want that kind of love in my life as I face my disruption. And if that's you, and if you made that prayer, we ask you to do two things for us as we all keep our heads bowed, hearts open and praying, that you take that card that was given to you when you came in, fill it out, there's a box to check that I accepted Christ today. Check that box. And at the end of the service, take that card out front and give it to someone wearing a blue shirt under the overhang in front of the church. They won't harass you. They're just going to talk about the next steps. We also ask that you, you do something else, something physical as a marker that today is a very special day. We ask you to raise your hand, every head bowed, every heart praying. And by raising your hand, you're saying, I'm in. I'm marking this day as the most important day of my life because I accepted Christ. And we have another tradition that as you put your hand down, we put our hands together and say, welcome to the family. Right. 